Hi, Emily. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Are you okay? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I've been really quite excited to get you on the podcast and have a have a bit of a chat. Oh, bless you. So, I know you you've been doing a lot of um, kind of trans inclusive stuff. I wanted to talk about some of that as well today, if we could. Yeah. But yeah, probably just let, just start with you know how how do we know each other? And it's I think it's initially from us both being on tea and coffee the chat thing that uh, Sam and Jason do. Yeah, I think I think so. It's, it's difficult to work out if we connected on on um, social media or that first, because um, it was all a bit of a blur at the time. But yeah, yeah. definitely tea and coffee. I think, I think we had connected on Twitter yeah. beforehand, but I, we'd not really spoken or chatted before. No, no, no. But yeah, I mean, the, what, what Jason and Sammy do, do with tea and coffee is, is, I think it's quite amazing. There's been... <laughs> It is. It is so not kind of interesting spin-offs. Well, well, there are. I mean, I got to go to one of the last, in fact, probably the last in-person uh, tea and coffee before lockdown kicked in, um, which was kind of how I how, how I got involved, um, and and that was that was very early on for me. And uh, I, you know, I, I went with um, with Lizzie, um, who many people will know. And uh, yeah, it was at, uh, at Tesco's in Camberley um, back in back in February, February the twentieth of last year. All right. So, so you actually were going to the Tesco's meetups way before COVID came along and messed it up. Well, well, that, that was the one and only one I got to. Uh, oh, you only, you only managed to get to one. Okay. Managed to persuade me to go, and I was very excited to carry on going. And then, of course, lockdown happened, and uh, thank God they went online. It was a real lifeline. Yeah, I mean, it's, it has been a lifeline for me as well. I mean, I've met so many amazing people via yeah. that chat group. It's, I think, it's really, it's really good. And then Jason's doing his uh, Sunday evening uh, jazz events on uh, Trans Radio. Trans no, radio. country, I think, not jazz. Sorry, Hassan. I know, I know, I know which I'd rather it was, but um, but I'm sure, I'm sure he feels the same about jazz. <laughs> yes, my mistake, country. Country music. I've been listening to it. It's a great show. Don't know if you've had a chance. I I, I listened into a little bit, but I'm me and me and country music are not easy bedfellows. So nothing 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 against uh, Jason. Yeah, Jason calls it honky tonk. I think that's where I got the jazz idea from. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, you are you are vice president of strategic change at RS Components. Is that have I got that correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, so, Corby in London. In London, okay. So you're you're pretty high up in that company. I mean, are there are there lots of different vice presidents, or are you are you just like? Yeah, there's we're we're uh, we're a very numerous breed. Um, right. it's, it's American things. So there's quite a few of us. Um, I guess you know from a, a positioning within the organisation, if, if hierarchy is a people's thing, it's um, two levels below our executive board. Yeah, so you, that's that's pretty high up. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a senior role. There's no there's yeah. no two ways. Yeah. So, what is it that you actually do? Is it is it kind of project management kind of work? Wow. Yeah. So so I'm a I'm a project manager by profession. So twenty plus years of, of project management in one form or another. Um, and yeah, it's it's effectively I have oversight for a division of our business for all of our um, all of our change programs. 
um, pieces of work, including a, a massive replatforming program. So it could be technology-based, uh, could be people-based, uh, process-based, um, but anything where we have to we have to change the way we work uh, falls into my responsibility now. So it's kind of process improvement projects, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A real a real broad gamut, and and I also own learning and development for my part of the business, which uh, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a surprise actually when I first joined um, that I, I took those guys on, but they're great. And uh, some operational excellence stuff as well, so data insights and performance management. So just just remind me, what does RS Components do? They it's kind of electronic equipment, isn't it? Components. Well, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a broad mix, yeah. So seventy year old company, uh, British based but global. Um, so we're in thirty something countries around the world. And we are a distributor of all sorts of things, including electronic components, um, uh, interconnectors, um, PPE. So uh, if people are looking for masks and gloves, we, we can help there. All right. um, you know, a really broad range of things, including some really exciting, sexy stuff like 3D printers and, uh, and Raspberry Pis and um, Arduinos and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've always been aware of RS components, but I've never really known exactly what they do but you you do kind of come across it quite often when you especially in my work yeah well, I mean, kind of... 70 years so um yeah we've, we've got a we've got a good history we've really rs stood for radio spares back in the day yeah i was going to ask um, about the rs stood for because yeah. it, yeah, it, it, it actually re reminds me of a canadian company which was radio shack which oh, also radio. sells those kind of components but in high street stores rather than well, yeah, of course, because Radio Shack in this country was sold through Tandy, the late lamented Tandy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's no connection between Radio Shack and RS Components? No, 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 no connection at all. No. And how long have you been working for? Uh, two and a half years now, I think it is. All right. So it's, yeah. coming, up, coming up for an anniversary. Right, right. And before that, you, you had worked in the NHS? I had. I'm sorry. I worked in various places, so uh, all in all in projects and programs. So, uh, yeah, I worked. I worked for a large outsourcing company before I came here. Um, so I was global head of project management for them. Um, before that, the NHS in commissioning. So I was there when the CCGs were set up, which is a, a hot topic for many trans people. Um, so yeah, I was there for that. Uh, before that, worked with the police service, um, and before that, Sainsbury's in terms of my project management career, uh, and before that, I was in the army. Oh, you're in the army too. Well, wow. I was many, 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 many years ago. A very varied experience, different companies and places. Are. Yeah, I mean the common, obviously the common thread post army has all been project management, and it's yeah. a pretty universal profession. You know, it's uh, it, it, it's. You know, project management for me is being an expert in what I do, as opposed to the 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 environment that I'm working in. You know, so it's very portable. Yeah. So, um, just moving on. I mean, when when did you first realise yourself there was something not quite right? Um, well, when I was six, I think um, for me. So when I was six, I you know I, I can remember um, elements of. Um, of, of feeling excluded from from playing with the girls at school, I remember the dressing up box was a was a, a source of great excitement and happiness for me, um, and and I had a, an absolute fixation with bangles from the dress, dressing up box. 
um, to the extent that I can remember throwing a tantrum at the age of six at school that I should be allowed to take one of the bangles home uh, and wear it home. And I, and I think I would say, you know, when I was six, I knew I was different. Um, I certainly didn't have any language to describe that at the time. Um, but certainly in terms of articulating myself, I, um, when I was 11 years old, I, I announced one evening, I, I had a rummage through the, the medical dictionary at home, which, which was a good source for me for ways to avoid going to school. I would, I would find a, an ailment to make sure I could replicate the, uh, the symptoms. But um, on this occasion, looking through and, uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't and never really been a happy person, but I, I sort of alighted on the, the depression section of the medical encyclopedia and came downstairs to my parents and announced I was depressed, which which worried them enough um, to take me to see a, uh, a psychiatrist in uh, in Hammersmith in West London. And um, very seared on my brain when, when he asked me and said, what's wrong, why are you sad, what's making you sad? I blurted out, well, I'm a girl and I don't get why I'm like this. I don't understand it. Um, which uh, which didn't go well. Um, so yeah, so so six for something wrong, eleven for pretty much certainty. Uh, so again, lacking some of the language. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming this was several decades ago now. You probably 1987. That would have been. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, after you'd you know your parents had taken you there, I mean, mm. how how were things at home with the family? Were they were they supportive of what you were going through? Or? I didn't tell my parents. So I said so that the, in the session, so when I, I revealed this to the psychiatrist, his face, I just saw his face visibly change uh, from being a sort of concerned, rather avuncular um, psychiatrist in a therapy setting to what I can only describe as a look of disgust and anger wow. in some ways. Um, and his response to me at the time was, was pack it in, you're too big for that nonsense. Um, I was five foot eleven when I was ten, uh, to put it in context. And um, I realised, and again, I can remember this with absolute clarity, with almost instant understanding that I'd said something very wrong. I'd said something which which I shouldn't have said. Um, and and I can remember being very worried he would tell my mother what I'd said. Um, which which of course he didn't talk that through, and I I saw through the rest of the appointment sort of throwing the scent off onto other things that might have been making me sad at the time. Uh, and I spent a number of years really worried my parents would find out um, because I, suddenly this, this secret I had was something to be feared. It was something to be disgusted about, to be ashamed of. Um, and, and so, no, I, I, you know, my, my parents didn't know about this and, you know, on and off, sort of borrowing mum's clothes over the years. I, I always suspected she might know because I was not very good at putting them back as, as I found them, um, you know, sort of stuffing things back in drawers. Um, so I always, I always wondered if they knew, but, but since I came out to them um, the year before last, they, they said to me they had no idea. They had absolutely no idea that, uh, that this was an issue. They, my mother certainly said that she always knew I was not a happy person, but they never knew why. They could never get to the bottom of why. Uh, and I, I certainly look back at that, that particular psychiatrist and that reaction 
um, as, as a, a real pivotal point in my life. There was an opportunity there, potentially, and I, I can't go back and I can't say how it would have worked out all those years ago. But there was an opportunity for an intervention there which was not taken. So, I mean, you just basically got a complete dismissal from the psychiatrist and yeah, I, probably frightened, frightened you off, psychi psychiatrist, from that point forward, I wish you. Well, yeah, I was, I, yeah, certainly, certainly very worried about talking about my gender identity as I, yeah. as I would now describe it. Um, you know, that was, that was certainly something I, I would never have done. I mean, I, you know, in, in the years since I've had uh, mental health interventions and, and, um, and, and, and very successful conversations with counsellors, even in the period where I was very deeply closeted. Um, so I'm, I'm not anti-psychiatry, anti-counselling at all. I think it's absolutely essential. I'm certainly very anti that particular uh, therapist, if I, can, if I can even use that expression. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you got, you got a particularly bad one there. I mean, it was the 80s. Yeah, it was. And, and he, may, he may have been representative of his profession at that point in time, but I'll never yeah. know. You know, there was, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about this sort of on my blog, in, you know, about what the scene was for people like me back then. I can, you know, one of my, my clear memories at about that time was doing some economics homework. So I was, I was apparently one of the smart kids who did economics instead of business studies. Uh, and yet, and yet we had to do a project on, on used car price uh, movement um, by, by looking through the Exchange and Mart. And I can remember the back pages of Exchange and Mart and being absolutely fixated on some of the advertisements there for what they then called transvestite changeaways. And, and, and being absolutely keen to, to raise enough money to be able to go for one of these changeaways and, and be me and, and all of those good things. And, and I can remember it being absolutely obsessional at the time. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, from, a, from a, a mental health and therapy perspective, I had a lot of interventions for all sorts of reasons growing up. Um, you know, I was, I was classed, and, and I see a lot of this in the trans community, I was classed as a gifted child at school. Uh, and I was raised a year, so I missed a year of school. I, I went up uh, an extra year. And, uh, and I was always seen then as being very lazy uh, at school because I just, I just couldn't connect. And so I had a lot of interventions for my apparent laziness or, or whatever else was going on. Um, and yet I always managed to pretty much pull it out of the bag at the last minute. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say I carried on doing that and I still do that today. Um, but I, yeah, I've got a bit of a reputation for being able to pull things out at the last minute and, 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 and nail them down. Yeah, so, so during those early years and, you know, up to the point where you finally came out to your parents, I mean, were you, you pretty much just not telling anybody, living a kind of a double life deeply well, in, the, in the closet during that time? Yeah, very deeply in the closet. And I think, I think there were sort of waves of, of time where, and, and I'm very, very worried about my language here, where I was able to control my persona. And, and there, were, there were periods of months, if not years, where I, I wasn't Emily at all. I, I really suppressed who I am uh, to the greatest extent. And, um, and, yet, and yet it always came back to the surface. And, and there were times where I, I bought clothes, I bought um, shoes, yeah. and then I'd panic and I'd, I'd rush off to a sort of public dustbin in the middle of the night, you know, or a lay-by. 
Yeah, and I think I, I must, you know, over over twenty odd years, I must have thrown away thousands of pounds. Oh yeah. I mean, it, what you described there, I've done exactly the same thing. You know, mm. I, w- I would buy loads of clothes and stuff, and shoes and makeup and things, mm. and then I would I would keep them for a few months, and then have a have a bit of a panic and feel guilty, and then just throw them all away, purge everything. Yep. And then a few a few months later, I'd be I'd be buying stuff again. Yeah, I went exactly. Through, I went through a lot of cycles of doing that. It's, it, I think it's really kind of you feel guilty and you you can't tell anybody. You don't know how people will react. It's like a mm. it's like a dirty mm. secret, and you don't know how to handle it yourself. You know, it's very. It, it is the worst the worst emotion that is that I think is is pushed on the trans and non-binary community is a sense of shame and guilt about yeah. who we are. Um, and, and it is sometimes difficult. I mean, you know, you only have to look on social media to see how trans people, trans women in particular, are fetishized. Um, it, it's seen as a fetish. And, and of course, the difficulty is for some people, there are some people who are not trans who do have a fetish for yeah, absolutely. And, and I say good luck to them. I say that's, that's fine. You know, I, I'm not a kink shamer at all. But I do think it's very dangerous to try and conflate somebody who is wearing, is cross-dressing for sexual gratification and somebody who is just wanting to be themselves. And that doesn't make trans women, trans people, non-binary people sexless, quite, quite, quite absolutely not. And nor should we be, you know, what, we shouldn't be denied um, you know, the, the, the life that we can lead, and that includes our sexuality, that includes, you know, how, how we want to present ourselves, but to boil it down to some sort of fetish and some sort of, um, some sort of sense of sexual gratification, I think it does, it does a great disservice to our community. And, and, and what it does, it makes it very difficult for people who are trans to express their sexuality and to express... Yeah. Absolutely. Who they are, um, without you know, with, without fear of being seen as as, as a fetishist. Um, it's really interesting. You know, I, I did work in the NHS, and NHS coding is an arcane language. I mean, there are probably more there are probably more people who understand ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics than NHS codes. Um, and if you look in the NHS code book, and they never delete any, uh, they just they retire some. If you look where gender dysphoria now sits, which used to be called gender identity disorder, you will see a number of codes in there for fetishistic transvesticism um, and other such uh, expressions. And these were routinely placed on patients' medical files. And, and, and it is that level of, of confluence between one activity and an identity and a, a very deep-seated seated identity that I think is 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 possibly the root cause of a lot of problems, certainly in terms of accessing healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree completely with what you say there. And, you know, it's I think it's really important to make the distinction between somebody who is trans and is going through a medical transition and you know, everything associated with that. You know, not to not to confuse that with someone who may be cross dressing for fun or you know, is is maybe a drag queen or something like that. Even though you know you do get drag queens and people who cross dress who are trans or be, or yeah. later come out as trans. You know, I think it's important to just you know distinguish between the two. 
I think I think the, the only caveat I put on that is is I'm I'm very cautious about the, the medicalization of, of trans uh, experiences. Yeah, I'm very nervous about people saying you're not trans unless you medically transition, whether that be HRT yeah. surgery. Yeah. I I think it is much more about living authentically, and there are people who don't want or need or or can't medically transition but can nevertheless live their lives authentically. And I, I think the validity of that can't be questioned. Uh, very yeah, broad I, I think it's, it's, it's intention. For me, it's, it's, it's what, you know, when I get up in the morning and put my clothes on and my face on for the day, why am I doing that? I'm doing that to make me feel better and to make the outside match the person who's on the inside. I'm not doing it for anyone else. You know, it's not, it's not for anyone else's pleasure or gratification. And I think that there's there's probably something more in that for me. Yeah, and and it's not just the medical things either, is it's also you know all the all the paperwork things that trans people well, yeah. need to update that you know yeah. most other people would never bother doing, you know, such as changing your name and trying to get a gender recognition certificate and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, the, bureaucracy, the bureaucracy is is staggering for yeah for people just to just to tell the world who they are um and uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm dead in the middle of that at the moment and and battling with my bank as it happens um so you're still going through the paperwork fights as such yeah yeah I've, you know it's it's uh, you know one of the questions is often asked well you know you, you get to you know i've heard of people who got gone for their grc and you know i've got for their, their first gic appointment and you know the question is asked, well why haven't you changed your name here there and everywhere it's like well this takes a long time, and, and, it, and it's linear. You know, from a project management perspective, it's a waterfall project because you have to do one, get your deed poll back, do the next one, get your deed poll back, do the next yeah. one, and that's, that's assuming they send you, send you your deed poll. You know, you can't just do a bulk announcement that says, "Hey, here I am. This is my name. Everyone change, and everything's done." It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh... You know, like you say, it's a it's a it's a process of going through all those um, updates you have to do to paperwork and documentation. Um, you know, getting your getting your depot. I mean, what what I did was I got I made several originals to kind of make it a little easier. So you don't because some companies don't even send them back. You know, it's like you send it off and you don't get it back. If that's your only original, then you're going to have to go make some more. Well, I did. I did the same, but I'm, yeah. I'm running out. Nevertheless, yeah. I to, well, I had to do. I ended up doing about twenty originally, and then I did no. another batch of twenty later on, and then I eventually got an enrolled one. And what I do with that? Well, I needed to get that for my Canadian citizenship yeah. passport updates. I didn't need it for anything in the UK, but um, you know, with with that, you can get a certified notarized copy. And yeah. send those out, which I mean, it costs money to do it, but you know, you don't want to lose those originals because they're expensive to get in the first place. Yeah, no, it's it's just, and, and it is it, for me, it's it's very dehumanising to have to to have to let somebody else judge whether or not you are who you say you are. Yeah, and I find that very difficult. So your uh, let's call it your official transition started in 2019. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I mean, I can. So I've got a bracelet with my sort of key dates on it, which is always handy. So, yeah, thirteenth of August, twenty nineteen, I came out um, and went through that 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 well, the start of the process of coming out um, to people I knew, 
and I, I, I did my D-Poll and started HRT on the 20th of February of 2020. And I, I then got locked down, which, uh, which was not fun. And I returned to work on the 20th of May as me. Um, and no one has seen him since, which is great. That is great. I mean, when, when, you, when you first um, came out and started telling family and friends, I mean, how, how was the acceptance from your family? And um, others at the time was it was it as expected or a bit dif- a bit difficult? I yeah, very, I mean difficult, absolutely difficult. I mean my 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 sort of close family and and I'll be relatively cautious sort of talking about this for you know to, yeah. to be fair to them. Um, so yeah, my my home life has has had a has an atom bomb go off in it, and and, and I do understand that to an extent, although it has been difficult. Um, and in fact. You, you know, you work out the gymnastics of this one, but my daughter only became aware of who I am um, just before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And her acceptance has been utter and total and, and, and amazing and, and a massive weight off my mind. Um, my parents have been supportive. I mean, my father's finding it very difficult. Um, they've, of course, not seen me because I haven't seen my parents since Christmas 2019 uh, because of lockdown and, uh, and the fact that they're, you know, effectively very clinically vulnerable. So I, I've got yeah. to be very cautious there. Um, my brother's amazing. Um, so he came to my coming out party in November 19. Um, so that, that's been good. And and I think with, with maybe one exception, two exceptions, my, my circle of friends have just been amazing. Completely uh, accepting, uh, supportive, um, and, and it means the world to me. Um, and, and it still carries on. There are still a few people who I've, I've got very intermittent contact with that I, I'm still sort of coming out to in dribs and drabs. Um, I came out to my best man from my wedding last wow. night. In fact. Last night, well, um, how, how last did that, night. that re- really well. I mean, I, I was I was nervous. You know, he's uh, he's, he's a lovely guy, uh, quite conservative in some ways. I think uh, he won't mind me saying that, but. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely fine. It was it was a really lovely conversation, as if we you know we'd only spoken last week. Um, and you know, again, the number of people I speak to say, well, you know, I don't really know any trans people, and I say, ah, that you know of. Um, and they welcome the chance to just to see who we are, and we are not what the media or the transphobic lobby likes to portray us as. We we are not those people. We are men and women and non-binary people living our lives, working in jobs, raising families, doing all the things that anyone else would do. We just happen to be part of the transgender community. Yeah, we're just ordinary, everyday people doing the same yeah. as everybody else. You know, it's uh, there's nothing I'm, I'm a boringly ordinary yeah. 44-year-old woman doing a job. Exactly. Me too. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you, you had, you know, some really good acceptance from family and friends and with one or two exceptions. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, I mean, it's great to hear that. I mean, I think when people are told initially that, you know, in some cases there may be some resistance or they're not too happy about it. But over time, I, I do find that things, you know, change and they, they kind of come around and accept it in their own way and it kind of takes them time to understand you know what it's all about and how to handle it so yeah i think i, I think i think so and, and i think i think one of the things i'm i'm getting to grips with is 
What I found very difficult, I, I sometimes forget that I've had 35 years to think about this. Exactly. And 35 years to know who I am. And, and despite that, you know, to suppress it and to, you know, I tried every single thing to be a man. I, you know, I, I tried really hard. Um, and it didn't work. And, and I forget that other people haven't been on that 35 year journey. Um, and they don't have a point of reference. You know, trying to explain yeah. dysphoria to a cisgender person, it's a tall order. You know, it's, it, there is no. There is no sensible universal frame of reference that I can I can use when I'm explaining that to people. I can just tell them examples of of how it affects me. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it kind of it's really interesting how they people do you know come to accept. I mean, I, I've had a couple of friends, one in Canada and another one in the UK, who one one of them was initially okay with it and then kind of decided that they didn't want to associate with trans people because you know they may be accused of being transgender I'm mm. no longer friendly with that person and the other one kind of was initially shocked and didn't speak to me for a long time and then made contact and kind of you know explained how they've been thinking about it and they were wrong to do what they did and you know you kind of now understand it so you know it's a bit of a mixed a mixed bag but generally, yeah. I think people do try and, you know, they, they will come around at some point if they're initially not very supportive. That was my experience. Yeah, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to think so. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I've said this many times, in my, my greatest piece of advocacy for, for myself and for the community is, is just living my life authentically and just demonstrating the, 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 the mundane normality yeah. Of, of the day to day, and and absolutely the shared experiences with other women, whether they be cisgender or transgender, um, you know, we, we talk about these things. But you know, I I have the same the same issues with with buying my clothes that cisgender women have, uh, albeit I've, I've got a few additional ones because of my size. But you know, I, we all know people who've bought a, a, you know a, a skirt or a pair of trousers in a size that fits absolutely beautifully and then buys the same size from a different retailer and it's nowhere near that, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a trans woman issue that's that's a women's issue oh yeah and, and it makes that. me mad and and you know if we want to unite over something clothes sizes there's okay. there's 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 the battle front for us to yeah. unite with our, our our gender families yes a size 18 here maybe a size 12 somewhere else <laughs> yeah absolutely and pockets. Let's not let's not go to pockets. What about I shoes? Miss... Shoes? Have you had problems with shoes? Oh, shoes are a big problem. So I've got enormous feet, and and the only retailer that, that sells shoes that, that fit me is Long Tall Sally. And of course they went they went bust earlier this year. They did. And then they've come back, but they haven't yet really got to grips with with building the range back up. I think they're still going through their old stock. So so I, I love shoes. I haven't. I, I'm very stereotypical. I love shoes, um, and and I do worry that I'm going to run out of shoes, and I'm going to wear through my favourite shoes, and I'm not going to be able to replace them. So, um, if if anyone from Long Tall Sally hears this podcast, here is a plea: please, 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 yes, please make larger sizes. Yeah, and and to other retailers as well. Yeah, I mean it's really annoying. I don't know if you've ever been into Marks and Spencer's shoe department, but they only stock up to size nine in the shop. 
I, I so, don't even don't even look. I mean, I, I'm I'm a size 13 from long time oh, Sally. So I, it, for me, it's it's almost it's almost a trigger of dysphoria to go anywhere near a regular seller of, of women's shoes. And 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 you kind of at that size, you're stuck either long tall Sally, um, fetish style shoes, which some yeah. of them are beautiful. Don't don't get me wrong. You know, I've, I've got some. I, I have bought a couple of, of pairs of, of pleaser, and people will, will know in the community about yeah. pleaser shoes. Um, but the majority of them, they're not the sort of thing you'd wear to the office. Um, and then I had a flip. Well, that's that is a problem. And and then um, from I, I had a flirtation with Wish, and and AliExpress uh, of buying things in from China and. Not a single pair of those shoes yeah, fitted I mean, I, in a way that made me not want to rip my feet off and, and throw them yeah. in. I, I did order some shoes through the same um, site, and they were supposed to be my size. And then when they came in, I just couldn't get, couldn't even get them on my feet. You know, so I don't I don't think they use the same sizing system. And even if they do, you know, it, they're, they're still too small. So. It's a one. It's a one in. It's a one in ten ratio. I, I've had one pair of shoes from there, yeah. which fitted beautifully, and they are beautiful silver holographic heels that I wore for my coming out party last year, and I love them. And that's the one in ten I got from Far East that actually fit. I, d- I did recently get some really nice boots from a, a UK supplier. I can't remember the name, but they're they're actually riding boots. And they do these in larger sizes, up to size 13, I believe, UK size. Um, I, I'll send you the link. But I can't remember the name of the company now. It's, but it's, it's. Um, I think they're based in Yorkshire somewhere, and they do all different kinds of riding boots. I will send you a link after afterwards. Send me the link. Yeah, you can have a look, and, and decent prices too. Proper, um, you know, quality, good quality horse riding shoes. Which well, I guess you'll sure. you know, I, I expect nothing less. I expect nothing less from Yorkshire other than decent prices. <laughs> I shall send you the link. Yeah. So, um, how how's medical access been for you? Have you been able to get a decent GP? I'm 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 lucky with my GP. I have to say. Um, now, that's not a universally good story. Um, he's very empathetic. Um, and I wasn't phased at all when I, I sat down with him and, and burst into tears about what had gone on in my life. Um, and the problem was education and knowledge, and, and I've had to be his teacher, which, which, has, which has a positive and negative side. So the, the positive side is that I, I'm very informed about what I need, and he recognises that. I'm informed and I tend to bring, you know, it's the only time in my life I've had to bring a briefcase with me to my doctor's appointment because I've had 350 pages of WPATH guidance uh, in the case that, you know, I want to be able to refer to. Um, However, he had, he's only ever had one other transgender patient and it was many years ago. So he defaulted into the previous, um, the previous pathway which involved psychosexual counselling as opposed to an immediate referral to the GIC. So my GIC referral, which I asked for in November of 19, wasn't actually made until March of 2020, which is which is really frustrating. So he actually sent um, you for counselling first? He sent me for the counselling and, and I thought I'd play the game. I went to the counselling and 
you know, I'll be really, really upfront that the counselor was obsessed with my penis, um, which, uh, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit surprising. Um, and, you know, they're more obsessed than, than, than I am about getting rid of the thing. Um, and, and I found, again, I found that very reductive. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't helping, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I know what I was born with. That's a big problem for me. Uh, I know what I want to do about it. Um, so just talking about it, it's not going to, it's not going to get me anywhere. So, so that was, that was difficult. I, I've, I've used gender GP as my, um, as my private provider. Yes, me too. And, um, and, and they had a few issues, uh, in the early part of last year where they were sort of changing platforms. Uh, the platform yeah, they, they did go through a bit, of a bit of a dodgy patch there, didn't they, where they were trying to... They well, did. They, they were expanding the business and they were also trying to... Yeah. Yeah. It was, Other it was than that difficult. patch, I can't fault Gender GP. They, they, they're, they're supporting me yeah, with, with counselling. Um, they're supporting members of my family with counselling. Um, you know, they, they've monitored my my uh, HRT very well. My GP is in a shared care agreement, so I'm very lucky there um, that I that I'm able to secure uh, NHS prescriptions, which um, which is not a given, and that's that's a that's a disgraceful state of affairs in the UK. Um, and and so I, I think it's not hyperbole to say without gender gender GP were a lifesaver, and that's not hyperbole. If if I hadn't had that access. I don't know how I would have survived last year um, because for me, within two weeks of starting HRT, it, it was like clearing an engine of the wrong fuel. Um, you know, there was there was a bit of sputtering and, and coughing and a bit of smoke, but then now the engine is running as it should be running. And and you know, the, the sort of final part for me, I, I moved from because um, I started on the general starting point of finasteride and. Um, and estrogel yeah and the finasteride was doing me no favors at all. it really wasn't nuking testosterone at all uh, so i moved to decapeptil in um in august of last year and and that for me uh, you know to, to 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 prolong the engine analogy that was like uh, fitting the nitrous system to the engine uh, yeah, yeah so that really, that you're, really getting the, you're getting the like the three monthly injection is that the one? It is a three-month injection, although for me it lasts about ten weeks. And in fact, I'm due this weekend, and I, and I know I'm due. I can feel it. I'm, yeah. I, I get a really grotty feeling in that last in that last week. Um, so I shall be. I, I have I have it ready. It's sitting on my desk at home. I shall be jabbing myself on Saturday evening, um, and uh, and and keeping my uh, keeping my testosterone nuked. But for me, for me, that was from a from a hormonal perspective. That was the biggest. The biggest improvement to my my well-being and my, my sense of self yeah i, I mean I, I have a a similar story with gps i my original gp was useless although they did do me a referral and didn't ask me to go and see a psychiatrist or anything so mm. i mean which they're not supposed to do anyway so they, they did they did a referral but they refused to do the shared care agreement with uh, gender gp um mm. So I was having to get everything through gender GP for several months. I eventually found a different GP who is a specialist in uh, transgender healthcare. Mm. And he, he basically just said he would do the blood tests and prescribing off his own, off his own bat. And, um, you know, with some, with some kind of support from gender GP. So, that I mean, that, and that's worked out really well. I've been seeing him for about six months now. 
and, and, that, and that should be the norm. This, you yeah. know, so, you know, he's, he's doing the bridging hormones. He's got some support from GenoGP, and he's also a specialist in the field anyway. So, you know, it's it's really quite good. I think I think that this is the peril that, 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 that transgender care is seen as being some sort of arcane specialism. Yeah. It really isn't. We are human beings with an endocrine system exactly the same as any other yeah. human being. I think and doctors need to be trained up in you know this healthcare yeah. transgender healthcare generally because most of them haven't don't really seem to have a clue or they just don't want to get involved because it, they, they determine it to be risky in some way yeah it, but it's it's you know it's nothing more from from my perspective and and and, and putting surgery out of the mix because i mean that is different in a way but from an endocrinology perspective it's a numbers game we know the range of numbers that uh, that are a male or female person should be aiming for. We know the modifiers for that person if they are transgender or cisgender. And it is a case, as with all medicine, of tweaking the dosages of either the blocker or the additional yes. um, hormone until you reach that, that, that sweet spot. Yeah, and I mean, it, it does take a bit not, of time to adjust yeah. things to make, or you maybe change the prescription slightly, change it to a different... Um, you know, drug and yeah. I mean, I've I've now happily found a, a kind of a good a good place with num where the numbers are supposed to be, and it is quite stable. So yeah, I mean, it took a while to get to that point, but yeah, yeah. It's 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 just the you know the the media and 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 certain lobby groups have a lot to answer for for making this feel arcane and and frankly, the NHS's approach to gender medicine and the the overt specialization of the GIC and their monopoly on, on gender care. Yeah. I mean, um, for me, it really needs to be done at your GP. Yes. You know, we don't need these specialist units really uh, providing, yeah. you know, G GPs are trained and they have access to endocrinologists, you know, I mean, I, I, I would, I would argue that the, the role of the GIC should be for people who are questioning, who do not know, who have questions. And if I, if I'd gone to my GP and said, I think I may be transgender. I'm not sure. I don't feel right. I, I need to talk to somebody about it. Then I see a role for a specialist service that, that really understands that. If you walk into a GP surgery and say, I have known for 35 years who I am. I've been suppressing it. I cannot suppress it any longer. And in my instance, um, and you'll have to put a, a TW on this one. In my instance, it came after a second suicide attempt. You know, so it was that serious for me. I do not need then the answer from the NHS to be, that sounds very serious. Here's a three and a half, four year waiting list to, to, for somebody to ask you if you're really trans before they give you any sort of therapeutic intervention. The answer is to say, I see you're transgender. I will mark you, going back to the coding, I will mark you on your record with gender dysphoria and we will start a course of HRT to see if that helps. Because it's, it's not a, the early stages of HRT, it's not a one-way street. If that helps, that helps. If it doesn't help, we look at what are the other alternatives, what are the other options. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is absolutely within the scope of, of what a GP can and should be doing. Yeah. It needs to be a much more kind of one-on-one -on -one experience with your GP who has all the information they need and the support that they need, you know, to be able to do it properly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think, you know, things are being done to get us to that point but 
yeah, it's going to take a long time. Um, it's, it's glacial and it's it's disgracefully yeah. glacial. Yeah. So did you eventually get a referral to a GIC? I mean, you're on the waiting list I now. I did, yes. I got on the waiting list in March. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the list with Daventry, which is one of the longer um, waiting lists. So when I... When I and, and they didn't actually write to me. I, I, I had a real panic in June or July. Yeah, they're thinking, not very good with communicating. I, I haven't heard anything. And I thought, oh God, have I waited all these week, these months and I have actually not referred? And then they said, oh sorry, yeah, here's your letter. And the letter came and said uh, the waiting time will be at least thirty nine months from date of referral. Yeah. So that's some point I think in twenty twenty three when I'm going to be seen. Um, and and it's gone up. It's gone up to forty two months, I think during the COVID period. Um, but again, let's let's be really clear, that's for first appointment. So I literally will turn yeah. up at that appointment, having been on hormones then for three and a half, nearly four years. Um, potentially, if I can if I can work out the financing post-surgery, and I'll yeah. be walking in the door and they'll be saying, so why is it you think you're transgender, Miss Hamilton? Yes, well, um, I mean, it's, it's too late. Everything's been done. See you later. Is going to be your answer at well, that point. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Of dropping my knickers at that point and saying, "Well, there you are." Um, you know, I, I, it's it's a it's a very strange system, and it's. It is. I, I'm trying to work out, and it's it's very interesting to me. So, two things about the NHS. Uh, the first one is is it's a clear breach of um, the NHS constitution, and. You know, I can remember that being introduced and, and you know, from my days in the NHS, that that, that was supposed to be taken very seriously. Um, it, it's a breach of the constitution to make us wait that length of time. Secondly, the NHS constitution uh, guarantees that you will not be disadvantaged for taking private care uh, and then re-entering the NHS system. However, with the GIC, when I turn up, I will be treated as if I've had no intervention whatsoever. And I, I need to do some more research on this because I'm not aware of any other, any other branch of medicine within the NHS that says we will ignore all of the private interventions you had and start you at the start of the pathway again. Um, you know, I, my view is I should be able to go there. And if I haven't got to the surgery point at that stage, but they say, okay, so you've been on hormones, you're, you're very stable, you've been living your life openly for these years, what can we do for you? And I can say, I would like a referral for surgery. Yeah. And, and we, we start at that point. And I don't know any other area of medicine in the NHS. I think the, the GICs need, need to work much more closely with the, you know, some of the private gender clinics that we all go to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to help resolve some of those issues. So that, you know, when you do finally get to the GIC, that they accept the fact that you've been to a private gender clinic and you've got hormones and... Yeah. You know, you, you're quite far down the down the path. I mean, for them to kind of ignore all that and start you at, you know, ground zero again, it seems a bit ridiculous. It's and and, and I, I as I say, the, the key thing for me, and 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 I think for me, this is a this is a um, an equality issue. Yeah. Why? What other branch? What other? What other group in society are disadvantaged in that way? And, and, and I, I'm happy to be corrected. And, and you know, when you post this out, if somebody knows that they can, they can share it on, you know, on, on whatever links you put out there. But I, I don't know of any other element of medicine that is the same. And, and, and I think that, that is right for challenge. That is right for challenge under the EA. I mean, with your NHS experience, I mean, do you, do you have any insight into, you know, how the, how these things could be changed? 
I, I think my, my, my NHS experience tells me that, that um, certainly what I saw was that, that, that transgender issues are seen as a bit of a punchline. Um, so NHS commissioning, which is the area I worked in, it's all about choices. What, what do you invest in? What do you fund? Yeah. And I heard more than once people say, well, it's the choice between cancer or, or sex change operations, as they would say. Um, and, and that reduces everything to being a zero-sum game. And, 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 and that's, that's unpardonable. And I think, I think the NHS has a transphobia problem at the commission level. Um, I think the NHS is an, an amazing institution. I think the people who work in it at a, at a front line, by and large, and of course, you, you can't say everyone is the same, but by and large are an amazing group of people. But the clearest evidence to me that this is not taken seriously is that the, 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 the pathway for care that is relied on is an interim pathway. And it has been an interim pathway for the last eight years. Um, that doesn't sound very interim to me. Um, you know, if, if they were serious about reform, if they were serious about dealing with the massive backlog, you would not be running an interim pathway in terms of the, the, the pathway of care for uh, trans and non-binary people. Yeah, I mean, I, I often wonder what, as a, as a community of trans people, what can we do to, you know, help the NHS improve the the, the, the service they provide? I mean, it's it, it's quite difficult at you know our kind of level to understand what we need to do. It's, it's it's very difficult in terms in terms of pathways and and commissioning. So so gender services are not commissioned locally. They're not commissioned by CCGs. So you don't have the direct access that a CCG has. So you can join the you can join the the body of a CCG. You can go to their meetings. You can lobby, but they don't commission gender services. Um, I think there is scope for us to start to lobby CCGs to get GPs to be better educated and to. Yeah take more, more accountability for uh, primary care for trans people. The bigger issue is that it's an NHS England, um, certainly in England, England and Wales, it's an NHS England um, commission service, a specialist service. And it's very, very difficult to, uh, to get involved there to, to make those changes happen. You, you almost have to wait for the point where they are reviewing pathways and they, they potentially call for evidence and, uh, and input. Uh, and unless you're really plugged in, you know, you're sort of plugged into those systems, it's very difficult to influence that. And, and that that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to know, you know, how to influence. I mean, I think that's my problem. My my brother does work in the NHS and he, he works in very similar fields than, than what you've just been describing. Mm. So I, I think there's probably, you know, some issues I could probably discuss with him and try and understand it a bit better just for my own understanding and, and try and figure out you know how we can make the system better I mean it's, it sounds like a huge challenge but um, it, it is and it's, it's very much somewhere. a political thing um, I mean if, 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 if I thought we had a sympathetic government and a sympathetic department of health that you could lobby and you could you could expose the the inequalities and the injustice there. Then I, I would say that would be the pathway. You, you start to lobby junior health ministers, yeah. um, the health secretary. But but honestly and frankly, looking at the group we have at the Department of Health, um, that's a waste of ink or electrons in terms of contacting them. 
Um, and and I, I rarely say that. I think there's, you know, usually there's always a, a good reason to do that. But I genuinely think looking at the, the, the group we have in health, including my own MP, um, who, who I won't name because she's a, an appalling person, but she is a junior health minister, um, they are quite overtly transphobic. And, um, and it's very difficult to get change to happen when you have people in ministerial positions who are of that ilk. Well, as vice president of a strategic change, you know, maybe you're the person to do it, you know. Well, don't, don't lay it on me, Vicky. <laughs> I'll help you. No. I mean, well, a, we need, I mean, we could probably talk about that topic for a long time, but we, could. we really need I, to, as a, as a community, we really need to figure out a strategy for doing it. I mean, it's it's so complicated. Yeah, and I think I think judicial review is, is a part of that, and I know the Good Law Project are looking at some elements of that. And, and rightly, that's been been heavily concentrated on trans youth, you know, following the the, the Bell case. Um, but but I think I think I do think it's really important that I mean, trans youth are, are incredibly important and, and absolutely a prime consideration given what's happened. Yeah. Um, so we we mustn't we mustn't lose sight of the fact that that a lot of people transition later in life. Um, yeah. And their needs and, and and requirements are 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 equally important. Um, and, and what's interesting, you know, I do do my tax return every year. I don't see the option to have a rebate because, you know, I'm transgender. I'm I'm denied health services uh, that are are a requirement for me as a person. So I don't, I don't see any means for me to withhold tax. But I I also don't have any levers to say. I'm not getting my um, I'm not getting my fair shake of the health service. Yeah. So, you you say you know you came out at work in August September time 2019. Yeah. Um, and I know you've done a couple of keynote speeches through through your uh-huh. work and and some of the organisations you're involved with. Could you, could you just talk about that for a minute? Just explaining, you know, how you got into doing the keynote speeches, and well, you know, some of the content of those. Yeah, so so I mean, partly, I mean, my, my business has, has been very good about diversity and inclusion, and uh, we are affiliated with a, an organisation called My G Work, um, which is, um, <clears throat> I, I sort of laugh, jokingly sometimes call it queer LinkedIn. So it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, a networking a networking group for people in the LGBTQ plus and allies community. Um, and, you know, one of my ambitions last year was to make sure I got to a Pride event. I've never been to a Pride event in person. And that was one of my sort of New Year's resolutions, which, of course, was, was scuppered as soon as well. So my G work ran something called uh, Work Pride, which was a week-long um, Pride event, sort of very work-related, with lots of seminars and um, Q&A sessions and keynotes from all sorts of people. And I was invited to give a keynote speech around my experiences coming out at work yeah um my my history so you know my issues with mental health and and how coming out has improved those um so i got to close the conference which was which was a real honor so i i effectively talked about my journey i talked about um the very low times you know the the, the coming to as i say for me two suicide attempts and years of ideation um, so that was uh, that was back in I think June of this year, May or June of this year. I did get um, to see one of them. I think it was the my G work my G work one that I saw. Yeah, where you were yeah. on a panel 
Um, oh, that was, that was also through my G-Works. That was a panel discussion. Yeah, uh, it was which, really good. Uh, I enjoyed that one. You, you, your speech was really good. And you did, you know, you, you talked about your mental health problems you've had and suicide yeah. attempts. And, you know, it was really, it was really, uh, I think it was a very important speech that you gave there because it did highlight, you know, some of the problems, some of the more serious problems that people go through. Yeah, and I think the important thing is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, suicide's a, it's a very tricky subject. Yeah. Um, I'm very open about what happened to me, and, and and actually sometimes that gets weaponized by, by the transport saying, oh, you're holding a hostage, you're just threatening to kill yourself. And it's not I'm threatening to do anything. I'm just telling you how it's made me feel to hide who I am. And here's the funny thing: since I'm not hiding who I am, I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, well, that's, and, that's and wonderful. That's the that you know I had low days, I, you know quite a lot of low days. There's, there's a lot to be low about, um, but I never get myself to that stage, and and, and that's why I talk about it because I, I don't want anyone to feel that alone. Um, I don't want anyone to feel that hopeless uh, as I felt on those two occasions, and and I think by talking about it, I think sunlight is the best disinfectant there. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I did a panel uh, that yeah. was that was really good with some with some colleagues, and we talked about the experience at work and how people can be allies. Um, so that was that was also a my G work thing. Um, I did a, a session for 120 odd trainers globally. I had a, a very bad misgendering situation with an external training company, and I offered to to do a session about the transgender voice and a bit about our experience and, and the mechanics of the voice. And I, I hate my voice. Um, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to sound like him failing. Um, and I took them through that and, and, you know, built, I think, quite a few new allies who, who started to understand where we're at. And, and I think the thing that made me most happy last year was I was also invited to speak at a, an international mental health conference, which ran in November called This Can Happen, uh, which I, was... I think I saw that one too. You, you were on a panel of four, weren't you? I was on a panel of four. Um, I'm hoping to get... Uh, a royalty-free copy of the um, of the chat, but you know we talked about our experiences there, and we talked about how employers can can fill the vacuum that governments have certainly vacated, and families vacate. Now, whether that's a permanent vacation or not is another matter, but quite often you 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 will lose that support network, and employers have got a real role to play in in stepping up and providing a supportive environment. Um, so that was that was a real treat. I, I went to London. It's the first time in my, effectively my hometown as myself. Um, terrifying, um, but but exhilarating at the same time. So sort of sitting in Trafalgar Square, shivering, uh, before I went into the studio. Um, and uh, and I think you know it was a very powerful session. It was myself, a good friend from work. I, I'm a, I'm amazingly lucky to work with another trans person in my own department, um, who who's an amazing trans guy who set up our our support network, um, and also uh, a lady called uh, called Claire, who was the first uh, person to transition as a head teacher in this country, which which must have taken amazing courage. Uh, and we talked about our different perspectives of, uh, of of our mental health. And the key thing for me is how much mental capacity you release by not hiding yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah. and that, that made a made a massive difference. So yeah, lots of those things going on. I've got a few more gigs. Uh, coming up this year that I, I can't talk about yet, um, but I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, and it goes back to my earlier point. I do my best advocacy by living my life, telling my story, and explaining that I am just an ordinary person 
I mean, I, yeah, think, you do. I think you're doing some great work with those keynote speeches and things you're involved with there. I mean, they do, even if you don't realize while you're doing it, I mean, they are helping other people who are watching. I mean, they're really very useful. I mean, I've enjoyed the two I saw. Um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, really, really helpful. And you did, you did I, come across... I just don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. That, yeah. That's that my and look, there's a selfish thing. They help me. They help me to, help you know, to express, what you to express myself and to to order my thinking and and to express it as clearly as I can. But if if any if if one other person sees something I've done, and, and I've had some certainly some experience where I've had two people in my global organisation reach out to me because they've got transgender children and they don't know what to do, and they reach out to me because they they feel they've got somebody they can talk to who understands and can give them some insight. And for me, that makes everything worth it. That makes every pain, every hurdle in the way worth it. Because if I've helped two other people to have a supportive environment to be themselves, then that's that's worth more than gold. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you, do you think that the, some of the problems that you faced with your mental health, you know, could have been avoided had you had more kind of access to talking about, you know, your issues and, and how you felt with transition, you know, if you'd been listened to or you had you had a, a way of getting those feelings, would that have helped you? Undoubtedly. I, I mean, you, you, you can't, you, I can't say that there wouldn't have been other things which would have affected my mental health. Um, but to have something which is so existential yeah. and still at my core, that that's that certainly wouldn't have been there and I, I would have had the same slings and arrows that anyone else has you know cisgender people have you know work problems and relationship problems and you know money problems and all of those things which can cause poor mental health um, but I would have been able to access support for those as opposed to accessing support for those whilst hiding the root cause of, of a lot of my anxiety. So like you say openness and uh you know, sunshine being the uh, disinfectant required. It is, yeah. and, and, and and just let's let's stop treating trans people as if being trans is the mental illness. The reaction of people in society and governments and others to people being transgender is the root of a yes, lot of absolutely. You know, I mean, it's not it's nothing to do with being trans. It's the yeah. it's the reaction. From others and the way you're treated right. by society that causes the problems in my exactly, in my exactly. As, as the world health organization has, has recognized you know it is not a mental disorder to be trans but being trans in our society can make you more susceptible to mental illnesses and there is for me there is no stigma with mental illness you, you wouldn't stigmatize somebody for breaking their leg uh, or catching covid or unless they've been particularly stupid and, and reckless um, or, or, or any other illness. Why do we stigmatize mental illness? You know, the, the brain is an organ of the body like any other. If you're on a dialysis machine, nobody says, well, you know, pull yourself together, get off that machine. That's yeah, not really exactly. you know, The brain is an organ like any other. And, and you know, there's no stigma for me um, in that. And, and that's why I, 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 I've talked about mental illness for many years, even before I came out, um, albeit from a different lens, you know, and, and how, you know, I had a situation in, in my 20s where, where it was work that was the real trigger for, for, for me feeling very unwell. And I, I've talked about that because I want people to feel that there is no, 
it's 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 something that can happen to any of us and and you're stronger by talking about it and and i i think it's strength to to come back from that yeah understand where you've got to and understand what the what the warning signs are for going there again yeah absolutely i mean i think you're doing some great work there really i mean what your 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 company do they also do they have like resource groups for lgbt employees specifically we, we do. so we have a we have a great group spectrum which is our lgbtq plus group uh, in fact we've got a meeting this afternoon of that so i'll be i'll be talking about outing this afternoon and why you don't out people uh, against yeah. their uh, their wishes and, have, um, and you know with you being a, a vp have you have you found that the people who work for you you know lower down in the company hierarchy have have others come out since you did at work has it has it kind of um, helped I, 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 can't, I can't say that i've i've sort of inspired anyone to come out what, what i'm my intention is to is to normalize this so that so that nobody feels they can't come out um and and as i say my, my experience so far has been uh, a couple of people who um who have children you know family members and, and our, our our company uh, group so the spectrum group is very much about employees and their families so we're we are very open and inclusive you know we've got uh, you know we've, we've got an american uh, arm of our organization and uh, <coughs> excuse me one of you know one of the guys there has got a, a transgender son who's an a, amazing guy and and i run a weekly quiz for the spectrum group uh, every monday that's our covid um coping strategy so i i test them every monday and and sometimes you know he'll join those calls and family members will join the calls and you know it, it's to me that's that's really important that that sense of community is important yeah. um, and and we sponsor things so we're sponsoring assuming it happens the rainbow ride in Cambridge this year uh, which is a, a cycle ride in Cambridge later in the year um, so we're sponsors for that and, and we'll be at that with our truck with all the goodies on it. Um, showing what we do, but also showing our our inclusion in the in the um, in the workspace. Excellent. So, real outreach, and you know, we're, we're at the diversity awards again when they get rescheduled. So yeah. we're shortlisted for that. Um, and we were we were nom- we were named as the forty seventh most diverse employer in the UK. Uh, so you, yeah, you're in the top fifty, weren't you? Yeah. Well, so it's it's it, you know, it, I'm very very proud of what we've done and. It's not just for LGBTQ plus people. It's about race. It's about gender diversity uh, in terms of in terms of the place of uh, of women within the business. Um, you know, we 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 are very broad in in terms of our diversity agenda. I'm very very proud of that. I mean, the, you know, the company I work for it's uh, it's BAE Systems, huge UK uh, company, as you know, but. Um, at the VP level, we don't really have anybody who's um, trans, as far as I know. Mm. And I just think, you know, if we did have somebody at your level within our company doing the kind of things you do, it would make a huge difference. You know, we, we've recently been trying to persuade the company to sign up to the uh, Trans Rights and Human Rights um, campaign that Bobby uh, Picard was yeah. organizing. Yeah. Um, we, we seem to be making progress with that. Hopefully they will sign at some point. I'm sure, I don't know, if, has, has RS Components signed that? Um, well, it's something I'm working through yeah. uh, with them. <clears throat> certainly I'm, I'm in contact with Bobby and, uh, yeah. you know, when, when we return to some normality, we'll be certainly doing a lot more with, with Trans in the City. Yeah, I um, think it's really important, you know, for people 
you know, who are quite high senior people within companies, you know, to, to, you know, make sure these things are being talked about and people are being supported. It, it is. And I, I am very, I am very conscious that I am probably the most senior. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm certainly the most senior out trans person yeah. in our organization and, and possibly, uh, and again, possibly the most senior LGBTQ plus person in our organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm open to be challenged on that. So, um, you know, when people are people are looking to come to your place for an employment and they see that, I mean, that'll just, yeah. it'll be really positive encouragement, you know, to show them that, look, we have this uh, VP who's out, you know, openly yeah. trans and successful. And, you know, yeah. I think all that helps. It's demonstrating words and pictures matching up. So it's easy for a business to say we have a policy or we we encourage this or we, we're open and accepting, but it's quite another. And I think for RS, and, and you know, it's a bit of a love letter to RS, but not only do they accept me as who I am, but they are <clears throat> supporting me through my transition. So yes. they didn't know I was trans when they took me on, um, but they've supported me incredibly well through my transition. Um, and and for that, I mean, that, 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 that will have, I will have a sense of gratitude for that for the rest of my life. Um, because, you know, I took this job, I was offered a couple of jobs when I took the job with RS. The other organisation that offered me a job, I'm, I'm not sure they would have been uh, as supportive and I would have been in the same situation uh, there. In fact, I'm almost certain I wouldn't. And, and yeah, people can see that. Younger people particularly, when they're looking for a job, Indeed. they want to see companies not just having a load of dry, dusty policy somewhere that everyone scrambles to look at, when they need to, they want to see people living living the words they write down. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, hugely important. So, I mean, we've we've run over the hour slightly, but um, it's been it's been fantastic to have a have a chat with you. And we've spoken about a lot of things there. So, I really a big thank you for coming on and doing this. That's it's my my pleasure, Vicky, and thanks for doing it. I mean, it's it's been great to hear. Um, hear some other voices as well so it's uh, yeah, it's a good thing you do yeah I intend to do a few more There's, um, I'm trying to do one a week and uh, yeah. you know it's just, it's just the, the, the purpose of the doing the podcast was just to you know talk to individuals and really just to show that you know trans people are just like any other people you know they're just normal everyday people successful yeah. and uh, having happy lives you know yep absolutely right and, and you know, that's a really important message you know yeah. So I have one final question for you, which I ask everybody. <laughs> At the end, you can have a goat, a cow, or a trumpet womp. The choice is yours. This is like the the ending little jingle we have for the podcast. Um, I'll have the goat. Thank you. The goat has been very popular. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. chosen the goat so far. I like goat's cheese, and uh, and and I quite like the look of goats. I like their ears. Yeah, they're crazy animals, aren't they, goats? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the goat. Goat for me. Well, thank you very much. I shall, um, I shall end the call there and um, hopefully we'll talk to you soon on um, tea and coffee or one of the mm -hmm. other things we're on. Thanks, Vicky. Okay, thank you very much.